Thanks, thanks, Rangy. You know, um, if someone's out there with an eight-page handout, you've got my notes. <laughs> Isn't that distressing and disturbing? So I'm up here to do a talk without my notes. So if you've got an eight-page, you've got them, Brendan. Oh, <laughs> I gave you the wrong ones. Bring them down, brother. While he's bringing them down, I'll tell you a story. I haven't been feeling too well this week. There's something wrong with me. My wife called me a hypochondriac today. <laughs> but anyway, um, on Thursday night, I'm feeling pretty crook and I did a Bible study and then I ran Clifton up. This is why it's good to have an associate. And I said, Clifton, can you go do this other Bible study? And he said, sure. And my wife's out shopping. So I ring her up and I say, well, sweetheart, I'm home. What's wrong with you? You know, when you're married to an emergency care nurse, you don't get much sympathy for the flu. And uh, oh, I said, I'm not well. Can you please bring me home a banana buzz? Thank you, Clifton. Do you know what a banana buzz is? No, you don't know what a banana buzz is? Does anyone know what a banana buzz is? Oh, dear, oh, dear. It's a, it's a so good banana, so good yoghurt, Thick shake, without any ice cream or anything. Anyhow, the aunt brought it home. I couldn't, I couldn't drink any of it. And so I put it in the freezer. I thought, I'll have a go at this tomorrow morning. I'm not going to waste it. So the next morning I get it out and I was, feeling, I was feeling good yesterday and so I start to drink it and I got about three quarters through it and I'm sitting at the, at the um, computer doing some work and my little daughter, she makes me laugh so much and I praise God for these kids and I'll miss them when they go. She comes up. She comes into my study and she has the most serious look on her face, if you know Danae, and she picks up this milkshake and she looks at me and says, I'll take that, you're sick daddy, you don't need any more. <laughs> and I said, what? Oh, you're sick daddy, you don't need any more. And she walked out with my milkshake. <laughs> and I just thought it was beautiful. Well, maybe you've got to be a father to see it, but anyway. It, 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 isn't it wonderful how God, through our children, sends these beautiful little glimpses of his love. Parents, do you see it? And, and I, I just think it's such a blessing. And it's a blessing that you've come out here. In fact, it, it staggers me that so many of you come here to study these subjects. In fact, I, when I thought of this series and thought, well, I'll do it on a Sabbath afternoon just as the Sabbath's going out, I honestly thought we'd get 10, 15 people. And it didn't worry me the thought of having 10 to 15 people because I take very serious what Ellen White says when she talks about unfaithful pastors, and I've got my struggles, I don't want to be an unfaithful pastor. And have you read where she says at the end of time, the people of God who had unfaithful pastors will turn against them? Have you read that? Do you know why she says that they will turn against them? Because they never gave the people the what? Truth. The truth. So I see my responsibility as Warunga is not so much to see hundreds of thousands of people in the church, although we praise God when that happens. But it's more our job, Clifton's, mine, Rangies and Ben's, to give the truth, isn't it? We give people at Warunga a chance to see the truth. And this is a Bible study. And unashamedly, I'm happy to say, it's a Bible study. I haven't brought you here to try and entertain you. It is a Bible study, you understand? And we're here to see what the Bible has to say about the end of time. Now, before we start, let me make this comment. I am a great fan. I'm a great fan of Ellen White. 
You too? Yeah, I'm glad to hear some amens out there. I praise God that he sent Ellen White to our church. But let me make a little confession here. I went into this study and it has been so refreshing specifically to study America, the United States of America and the end of days from the Bible and the Bible only. Because I was wondering to myself, can we prove what we believe from the scripture without quoting spirit of prophecy? Are you hearing me? And guess what? As I got into it, I found it quite challenging and very assuring because everything that Ellen White says and the quotes that we use, guess what? Every single truth is in the word. And I pray this afternoon as we do this study, not a long one, but I pray that as we do it, you will see it too and you will leave this place refreshed. Amen. Let's, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to be with us and then we'll get straight into it. <coughs> God of the heavens, you are a good God. And it is a pleasant thing for us to meet as the sun goes down and to open your word and to contemplate your truths and to listen, Lord, and to hear about what you want to share with us. And as we open the Bible, and Lord, this afternoon, the Bible and the Bible only, I would like to pray that you'll be with us, clear our minds, and may the message be one that we understand and take away in our hearts, and may we leave this place Again, Lord, being drawn strangely to you, in Jesus' name, Amen. The United States of America and the end of days. I am not anti-American, are you? We live in a world that is anti-American in many, many places. I'm not one of those people. I am not, let me say it again, anti-American. In fact, let me go further. A lot of my education was done in the United States of America. Some people say, well, Lloyd, that's what's wrong with you. (laughs) But a lot of my education was done in the United States of America. Some of the best friends I have in all the world are Americans. I am not anti-American. In fact, I love the United States. I feel, and this is where I'm from, and perhaps you don't feel like that, and that's fine, but I feel great sympathy with the United States as they fight their war on terror. Did you know that? Great sympathy. And most, now I better be careful, I don't label myself politically here and I'm not here to do that this afternoon. But most decisions that the American government makes, I either understand and sometimes even go along with. I I admire certain characteristics of their president, President George Bush. I like to see a man who will make a stand and then under pressure stick to it. Don't you like to see that? We don't see that in the world very much now. There's a man, you can guarantee this, that when George Bush says something, he'll what? Do it. Am I right? So I'm not anti-American. I don't come to you this afternoon as we open the Bible and do this study to be anti-American. But this power, together with the Church of Rome, which we looked at last time in Daniel chapter 7, these two powers form an alliance against God It is a serious alliance. It is one that even when you're pro-American like I am, that you have to confront. When I was in the United States of America, I used to say to our brethren, how do you confront this? This is your country that the Bible's talking about. And they were surprisingly comfortable with it. So I want you to know I'm not anti-American, but we do need to look at what the Bible has to say. Now, as I said to you right from the start, 
I haven't used Spirit of Prophecy, Ellen White. I think that's the first time I've ever done a, a program like this where I haven't. And I specifically did it for a reason. But I want to show you today that the Bible, and the Bible only, it talks about the Sunday law. The Bible and the Bible only, it talks about persecution. The Bible, and I'm talking future persecution. The Bible and the Bible only, it talks about the mark of the beast and what it is. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me to prepare this study and see how the Bible goes along. In fact, I could say it the other way, how Ellen White goes along with everything the Bible says. So although we won't use Spirit of Prophecy this afternoon, don't shy away from it. We are a blessed people to have her words and her guidance which came from on high to see us through the time of the end. So it is not a negative that I'm not using her this, morning, this afternoon, this evening. I'm just trying to show you that it is in the Bible and the Bible alone. And if we're going to share this message with, a, with the world, how do we share it? Through the what? The Bible and the Bible alone. So let's get straight into it. I want to show you something very interesting. Daniel chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, don't rely on the screen. It's important... <coughs> Excuse me, it's really important if you have your Bibles that you open to Daniel chapter 3. I want to spend just a few moments in this story. Did you know, hear this, that the first six chapters of Daniel, which are the stories, did you know that the first six chapters of Daniel graphically illustrate the last six chapters of Daniel and 22 chapters of Revelation? Did you know that? If you don't, you will by the time we leave today. Daniel chapter 3 talks about the Sunday law. Daniel chapter 3 talks about persecution. Daniel chapter 3 talks about every single aspect that you will face in the coming years as the Sunday law and these pressures come upon us. And so I want to spend just a couple of minutes with you and see whether you get it like I did. This was exciting when I did this. Daniel chapter 3 verse 1, one of my favourite stories in all the Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Well, the first thing I want you to see from this very first verse, and this is why it's important you have your Bibles because you can keep your Bibles open as we go to the next slide, is that Nebuchadnezzar in the time of this story, was the ruler of the entire world. Do you understand that? There was no one as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar. He was the ruler of the world. And secondly, look at this. And for those of you who already started, studied prophecy, this should be already starting to come together. The Bible says clearly that Nebuchadnezzar sets up a what? An image. Already your mind should be starting to click. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story, but I am going to read just certain aspects of it. Nebuchadnezzar said, As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zypher, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, make no mistake, music is always involved with false worship. Every time you see false worship in the Bible, you see music. So music can either lead you to God, or music can lead you away from God. That's a thought worth thinking on, isn't it? When you hear the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 5. 
What does that tell me? Nebuchadnezzar forces false worship by decree. Let's go back and have a look at that text. Did I go the right way? No. I've done myself. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipes and all kinds of music, you must fall down. He's making a decree. Can you see that? Now you're very quiet. I'm going to ask you that again. Can you see this? Nebuchadnezzar is making a decree. When you hear the music, you must fall down and help me worship who? The image. Nebuchadnezzar, let me do this again, forces false worship by decree. Well, we haven't finished because it it gets, for me, even more interesting. Verse 6, whoever does not fall down, this is Nebuchadnezzar, and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. Now those furnaces were powered up by what? Do you know? What comes from Persia? What comes from Iran? Iraq? Oil. Oil seeping up out of the ground. Those furnaces were powered up by oil. And Nebuchadnezzar says, now you listen to me, people. When you hear the music, you bow down. And if you don't bow down, then you'll be put into that furnace. Any way you look at it, that is a death decree, right? So next point, number four. Nebuchadnezzar threatens death penalty to those who do not worship the image. Now, for those of you who know prophecy, before we go any further, is this unfolding a little bit for you or not? Yes or no? It was for me when I looked at it. In fact, I've seen this story many times and yet this was, as I said, very refreshing. Now, let's keep going because I like this story. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O Nebuchadnezzar. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. I want to tell you that in every apostasy, praise God, there are always people who will stand firm for Jesus I have studied history and it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. It excites me, it encourages me, it inspires me as I read and I study about men and women in the midst of the darkest apostasy against all pressures that can be brought down upon them from Satan. Work pressures, family pressures, church pressure. There have been people through the history of the world and these three young Hebrew worthies, they are an example of them who will stand for God no matter what the cost. And I love that. And so my fifth point is some refuse to worship, praise God, the image. Okay, we continue the story. And I'm only only, picking verses here and there for time's sake. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar, who wasn't known for his good temperament when when he was disobeyed, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? You see, Nebuchadnezzar liked these three guys. He's giving them a second chance. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? 
Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zypha, lyre, harp, pipes and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the what? The image I made, well then very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, oh what a challenge this is to the God of heaven. Then says Nebuchadnezzar defiantly, not just to the three Hebrews but to God himself, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. This is full, this story is full of rich symbolism about and of the end of time. This is the sort of challenge that those who set themselves up against God throw out to him. What God can save you now. You know, their reply, well, Nebuchadnezzar gives one final ultimatum. Their reply stirs me. I was on the plane coming back from New Guinea. I was going through this story again. And I'm sitting on the plane with my Bible open. And as I read this reply, it moved me so much. And it really did that I, I kind of had tears. And if anyone had seen me, they'd say, what's wrong with this guy? This is moving and this is what God desires. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Praise God, what faith. But look at this. But even if he does not, We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They threw that challenge, that evil heathen challenge of that king to their god, they threw it back in his face. And they said, even if we die, we will not bow down to that image and we will not turn on our god. And brothers and sisters, how God needs us to be like that today. Amen? And as I'm reading that again, I can see why it moved me. This is one of the more sensational statements of the Bible. And so sixthly, what God got from these three Hebrews was unconditional obedience. Unconditional obedience, whether things were good or bad. And so the story ends because it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Ow! And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Verse 20. The death decree here is enacted. This is not a threat. It's enacted. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and we threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar recognised that the fourth man in the fire was a little different. And the last point in this little example, Jesus walked through the trial with his people. Don't you love that? Now before we even go on and I'll show you how this works at the end of time, how many of you, let's see hands, 
can see the rich imagery in this story about the end of time. Can you right up high? Let me see. Well, that's most of you. It's beautiful, isn't it? If you can't, stick with us now because we'll bring it home. The United States of America and the end of days. Turn with me to Revelation 13, verse 11. John's just uh, been in vision. He's just had God, and we looked at this last time, expose the church of Rome as the great power that sets itself up against God in the last days. And as John's looking in vision, and what a vision it must have been, the Bible says, Then John, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. This is exciting stuff. Let me give you some keys just to remind you. A beast equals what? Do you remember that? A beast equals a kingdom. And if you don't believe me, you're going to have a look at Daniel 7.17 in your own time. The sea, whenever you see the sea, that word the sea in prophecy, what does it mean? Nations, tongues, multitudes and people. So if you've got a beast that comes up out of the sea, what's the Lord saying? A power came up from a place in the world that had what? Lots of people. You got it. A dragon equals who? Always in the Bible, the dragon equals Satan. And the lamb is Jesus. And you've got the text there. So let's have a look at this text again. Remember, this is a Bible study. Then I saw another beast, a power, coming up out of the earth, not out of the sea. The earth is opposite to the sea. Now this beast, this power comes out of the earth, not the sea. If it comes out of the sea, the power, the kingdom comes from a place where there are lots of what? But if it comes from the land which is the opposite, it goes to reason to say this new power that comes onto the scene, this new power that aligns itself with the church of Rome at the end of time must come from a land, from a continent, from a place in the world where there are very few people. Do you understand that? So when when John says, I saw a beast, a power coming up out of the land, we need to be looking for a beast, a power that arose from a place where there were very few people. And I saw another beast, a power coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like Jesus and he spoke like Satan. Let me put it to you right from the front. I believe that the second beast in Revelation 13, is the United States of America. And I believe it with other millions of others and some very good scholars. Why is the beast the United States of America? Well, let's have a look at it. As the Church of Rome went down, do any of you know when the Pope was taken prisoner? 17... So that the, the Pope, the Church of Rome received a fatal wound in 1798. The Pope was taken prisoner. Do you know who took him prisoner? General Berthier, who worked for who? Napoleon. You know what they did with that Pope? They took him back to Paris and he died. And it was a fatal wound. The Church of Rome lost all power. In fact, if we had more time, you could see how they went from 538 when they destroyed the last of the tribes that opposed them, right through to 1798. For 1,260 years, the Church of Rome ruled supreme. But as they received a fatal wound, there's another power emerging on the world scene. A great power that is emerging from a country, from a continent where there are very few people. 
And that power is not Australia because we were coming onto the scene at about the same time. It's the United States of America. Do you know that... Well, can anybody tell me when the Declaration of Independence was enforced against the British? When was it? 17... 17... 70... Oh, you're not, you're not ancient historians. You're not historians. 1776, and it was a savage war. Let, let me ask you something. Did you know that the Americans fought another war with the British in 1812? Did you know that? Who knew that? Not many. Do you think the Americans or the British won? Who won the war of 1812? The British. We don't hear about that much in American history. But as, as the Church of Rome comes down, the, the United States is coming up. And what a power is the United States of America. What a country. Two horns. Now you're going to hear different things from different people on this. But I've lived in America. I've studied American history in America. I don't want to tell you right now that as I stand here, there are two great founding principles that the United States stands on, above all others, and it is freedom of religion and freedom of politics. And I've lived in a lot of countries in the world, visited a lot of places. I have yet to go to a nation, to a country, anywhere in the world that has the freedom of America. They have more freedom than us here in Australia. Did you know that? They have more freedom in both politics and religion. And these are the two founding principles, principles that are rooted in the Word of God, principles, I believe, that characterise Jesus' nature. I believe that's why the United States of America has flourished, because of these two founding principles that are rooted in Jesus, freedom of politics and freedom of religion. Jesus is for freedom, freedom, freedom. And America has been for freedom, freedom, freedom. A country based in the biblical ten commandments, of course having troubles with the Sabbath, but every other commandment, a country whose law is based on Christianity and this country has exploded to be the mightiest, the greatest nation the world has ever seen. We have never, including ancient Rome herself, we have never seen a country like the United States of America striding across the pages of history like we see now. Powerful, mighty country. You know what? You hear some cheek from the Arabs and even from some of us here in Australia against the Americans, but when it really comes down to it, there are very few people prepared to stand against the United States. There's only one country that could have went to war against Iraq when almost the entire world opposed it. Am I right? Australia couldn't have. Great Britain couldn't have by herself. That is the United States of America, the most powerful country in the world. That's why John says, Then I saw another beast, the United States of America, coming up out of the earth where there is no people. He had two horns like a lamb. He started off like Jesus, but he eventually is going to speak like a dragon, like Satan. Now look at this, because this gets interesting. He, the United States of America, exercised all the authority of the Church of Rome. You better listen to this. This is all future on his behalf. And he made the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast, the Church of Rome, whose fatal wound had been healed. This is post seventeen. 1798 because the wound has been what 
The wound occurred in 1798. This is post-1798. The United States of America will somehow force the world to worship the Church of Rome. This is serious because it hasn't yet happened. It's something that each of us still face. Now, if you wonder how powerful the Church of Rome was in the Middle Ages, I visited a broken-down castle called Canossa in, I think it was northern Italy, I can't remember exactly. Where in 1077, the Emperor of Europe, <coughs> I wonder if um, somebody could just get me a glass of water, I'm looking for one of mine. Thanks, Clifton. Where the, where the Emperor of Europe, his name was, and I've got it here, Henry IV, made a stand against the Pope. This is in 1077. He was the most powerful man in the world, the Emperor of Europe. He said, I'll no longer pay you taxes, Pope Gregory. I will no longer bow before you. He was, a, he was a rebellious man. He did not want to be under the authority of the Pope. The Pope didn't react violently. He just wrote a letter to all his priests. And it was as simple as saying, tell the people they no longer have to pay taxes to Gregory. Tell the people that they no longer have to... Sorry, not to Gregory, to, to Henry. Tell the people they no longer have to join Henry's army. In fact, tell the people they no longer have to take any notice whatsoever of what Henry says. Do you know that within months, Henry was in the snow, in bare feet, waiting outside the palace gate, and you can see a picture of it there, for three days for an audience with the Pope. And he went in before the Pope and he prostrated himself on the ground and he said, I apologise, I am sorry, I will never do that again. Interestingly, he did, but that's another story. But it just goes to illustrate the power of the Pope back in 1077. And the Bible, now let me just go back for a moment, I hope I go the right way. He, the United States of America, look at it, exercised all the authority, all the authority of the Church of Rome on his behalf. That awesome power that the papacy had in the Middle Ages, the Bible is telling us at the end of time, don't you think this is stunning? At the end of time, the United States of America will have. Now, now I've got a question. Does the United States have this power yet? I don't believe so. Why not? Well, you're not being forced to go on ch to church on Sunday yet, are you? Are you? Were they in the Middle Ages? Yes, they were. You're allowed to read your Bible whenever you want, aren't you? Were they allowed to in the Middle Ages? You can worship in this church and freedom every Sabbath, can't you? Were they allowed to in the Middle Ages? Brothers and sisters, we're talking, we're talking future here, but not far into the future. He, the United States, exercised all the authority of the Church of Rome on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants look, worship the Church of Rome whose fatal wound had been healed. How is it that we're not seeing this like we used to in this great Church of God? Look at this. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of the ancient world. The United States of America is fast becoming the overwhelming power in current affairs. Is that right? Have I taken it too far? Talk to me, have I? Well, look, let's look at this. Because of the signs the United States was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, the Church of Rome, he, the United States of America, deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honour, thank you, of the beast, 
the church of Rome who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Look at this. Look at the text and remember the story. Nebuchadnezzar set up an image that led to false worship. Amen? Tell me you hear me. The United States of America sets up an image that encourages what? Do you get it? Do you get it? Help me. Can you see how the old ancient story illustrates what we're about to go through? Is it starting to unfold for you? Look at this. He was given power to give breath to the image, whatever that is, of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship, to worship the image to be what? Now what's going on here? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego was told, bow down, worship the image. If you don't, you'll be what? Help me, you'll be killed. Now all of a sudden, we're in the last days, another image has been set up somewhere on the plain of Jura. Oh, I don't know. But the United States of America, with all her power, is saying and will say, not is, will say to the world, bow down, lots of Bible say, or you and worship the image or you will be. Hmm. Nebuchadnezzar threatened a death decree for not worshipping the image. He then attempted to enforce it. The USA threatens a death decree for not worshipping the image. They then shall make no mistake. They then shall enforce it. Is the Seventh-day Adventist church ready for this? I tell you, brothers and sisters, we better listen and read the Bible because what we have ahead of us will be stirring, challenging and I want to tell you very, very sobering times. This is coming. This is not past. This has not already been faced. I believe you are a generation raised by God to face these tests. And like Rangi said this morning, we better be a people in preparation. Did you hear that? Because we're not going to walk through unless we are a people in preparation who are walking in the presence of God. Okay, this is where it gets interesting. What is this image that, causes, that the United States sets up that causes the whole world to worship falsely? You know what? <clears throat> I would like to ask you all that question, but we haven't got time. I am sure that there would be many different answers would come from this Seventh-day Adventist audience. What is the image that is set up that causes everybody to worship falsely? Can I show you something from the Bible? Revelation 14, verse 6. This is the first angel's message. We've been trumpeting for 150 years that we preach the three angels' messages. And yet when I, I ask most people what the three angels' messages are, most haven't got a clue. Remember a theology, and I've said this in church, a theology lecturer walked into Avondale College while I was in third year, third or fourth year, I can't remember, it's so far back, um, class. He said, take out a pen and we thought, oh, snap, test. He said, no, not a test, I just want to ask you a question. He said, write down, these are theology students we all were, about to go into the ministry, may the Lord help us. <laughs> write down, he said, the three angels' message. Do you know that there's only two or three in a class of 20 that could do it? Here's the first angel's message and it's worth noting that this, these three messages 
come just a few verses after God identifies the Church of Rome and he identifies the United States of America as setting up an image that will cause the whole world to worship falsely. Just a few verses after. It's like God says, that's what they'll do. That's how they'll lead people astray. It's like God walks across to his flagpole and raises his flag and he says, now this is what I'm telling you to preach, you who belong to me. We can just look at the first one. Then I saw another angel, word for messenger. You are the angel in this prophecy, flying in the midst of heaven. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people. That's why we have three ABN. It's why we have hope. That's why I keep encouraging you in this church to get out and share Jesus. That's our job. What is the eternal gospel? Verse 7. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him because the hour of his judgment has come. You better believe it's come. He's coming soon. Then God says, and you can see him getting the flag up as high as he can, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Look carefully how that text is constructed. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. The battle between God and Satan is over what? It's over worship. Who will you worship? Will you worship Satan? Will you worship God? That's why when people come to, come to me and they say, Lloyd, you make all the fuss over worship in the church. What's wrong with you? It doesn't matter. I say, man, I say, woman, worship is the issue. Of course worship matters. First angel's message says, worship God, worship him who made the heavens, worship him who made the earth, worship him who made the sea and the springs of water. The flag is at the very top of the flagpole and it is fluttering strongly in the wind. Now look at this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now stay with me. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea and all that is in them. See any connection? No? Yes. I'll go back for a second. I'll take a little bit of time here if I have to. He said in a loud voice, Fear God, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the, and the springs of water. Now we go back. For in six days, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the The writer of Revelation, who is John, when he is talking about worship, this flag that he has, that God has taken to the highest flagpole, the writer of Revelation is using exactly the same words as the writer of Exodus used when talking about what? The what? The Sabbath. Now people say to me, don't be ridiculous, Lord. Why the Sabbath? And I've said this many times in this church. Look, if I was the devil and I was bringing this world to a close and I was trying to force false worship, it would be the Sabbath I would attack. It makes sense. I wish I could ask you some questions. Why does it make sense? Why? I'm going to ask you, tell me, why does it make sense for the devil to attack the Sabbath? Because I'm, I, I, I'm challenging you here in a minute that, this, that, that Sunday is the image. Why? Because it's the Sabbath that God raises to the highest flagpole. But why attack the Sabbath? Come on, answer me. 
It, well, that's a good answer. It identifies the Creator. What else? Someone says a seal. Yeah, these are good Adventist answers. Why attack the Sabbath? What is it about the Sabbath that upsets the devil so much? So much that he enforces laws. He will enforce laws and threaten and sometimes kill those who are worshipping on the Sabbath. So opposed is he to it. What is it that's upsetting the devil up the back? Thank you. It's your relationship with God. You and I are busy people. God knows it. And he said, come aside with me one day a week. What day was that that God chose? What day was that again? He chose that, not me. And not the Seventh-day Adventist church. It was God. Come aside, he said, and spend it with me. Oh, it's beautiful to spend the Sabbath with Jesus. I don't know how Christians can lead a successful, victorious life if they're not spending 24 hours a week on the Sabbath as a special blessing when you come on the day God says. I don't know, how, how do you confront evil? How do you overcome wickedness if the Sabbath is not a part of your life? Not just because it's a seventh-day Sabbath, because it's a day you spend with Jesus. And if you're with Jesus, and I've said this so many times in Warunga, if you are with Jesus, then you are getting power to overcome the wicked, the evil one. Am I right? So, of course, he attacks the Sabbath. And he attacks it viciously because he knows that people truly, people who truly do worship God, spend time with God on the Sabbath, he knows he hasn't got a chance. That's why he tries to legislate against it because he wants to see you in hell. And the only way that he can see you in hell is to force you apart from your maker. So he attacks the Sabbath. It's why the Sabbath is the seal of God. It's not the Sabbath that makes it the seal of God. It's because that's the time God spent, that's the time God invited you to spend with him. And it's the Sabbath, that time with Jesus, that prepares you, that powers you to face the devil and the great challenges that are ahead of you. So you better take the Sabbath very, very seriously. People say to me, well, what should I shouldn't do on the Sabbath? What should I do? What should... Look, if what you're doing is drawing you closer to Jesus, be a man or a woman of integrity. You remember me saying this, Chris? If he's one of my Bible studies. Was. If what you're doing is drawing you closer to Jesus, then be a man or a woman of integrity. If it's not, then... I'm... I told Chris this, it's hard to believe, but I used to love surfing. Some very spiritual times out there on the surfboard. Seriously, you do. Am I right, Chris? Sun coming up over the horizon. Dolphins, hopefully dolphins and not sharks, cavorting around your board, catching some beautiful little, for me, one and a half, two-footers on a big, long board. (laughs) Great. That's funny because one and a half, two footers wouldn't even move me. But anyway, (laughs) and you can be out there and you can go, wow, God. There are other times I'm on my board and for me I'm carving it up, which usually means I'm just standing up. Last thing on my mind is, is the master. So I have spiritual times on my board and I have unspiritual. Do I surf on Sabbath? If I'm a man of integrity, this is me, I'm talking about me. Do I? I can't. Because there are times where I'm not with my Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus says, just a few verses after that, 
What is important to him is that the whole world worships him and if you look at the language, that they worship him on what? The Sabbath. Why? Because that's 24 hours that he invites the human race, not Adventism, to come to him. Now look at this. Not only do you have that in Revelation 14, but you have the reality of this in Daniel 7, where the Church of Rome will try to change times and... And you go back to the Ten Commandments. The only law that has anything to do with time is what? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now look at this. The image that the United States of America sets up for the Church of Rome that enforces false worship is, I believe, Sunday from the evidence I've just shown you. Eventually, the United States of America will enforce Sunday observance on the world. And the Bible says those who do not comply with this ruling will be put to death. Look again. He was given the United States power to give breath to the image or to enforce its rule on the world so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Now as we come to the conclusion of this, a lot of, and I just want to spend a couple of minutes on the mark of the beast as well, but a lot of people say, don't be ridiculous, Lloyd. We live in 2004. The United States of America is not going to get together with the Church of Rome and do this. You're just off your planet, you Adventists. Have you heard that before? Well, it's worth considering a couple of things, and I just want to share this with you. Oops, I went the wrong way, I think. Uh, help me, Brendan. It's, it's uh, stuck on me. This is what happens when you have technology. Escape? That's what I feel like doing right now. <laughs> if you have trouble accepting this, then remember the following facts. Three facts. The conflict between God and Satan is over what? Worship. You better believe it. Go and read your Bible if you have trouble with that. Secondly, the Sabbath is central to two worship. Again, you better believe it. Yes, it is. It doesn't belong to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It belongs to the world. God calls the world to worship him, not the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The world to worship him on the Sabbath. That's the day that God set aside. Not me, not the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and certainly not the Church of Rome. It's the day that God set aside. God was the one who made that meeting place with human beings and it's God that still today in 2005 calls the world to worship him on the Sabbath. Now look at the broken down faces of the people living out in our community and how desperately they need the Sabbath. And lastly, don't forget, the Church of Rome, and this is historical fact, has already murdered between 50 and 150 million of God's people who would not bow their knee. That's historical fact. The Church of Rome already has the record and we struggle with this concept, this future concept, because we live in a world, we live in a world here in Australia that has never experienced this. It is foreign for us to be forced to worship anything other than what we want. Praise God, you're an Australian, amen? One of the greatest countries, if not the greatest country in the world. We worship freely here. But let me tell you, you go to Saudi Arabia and try and worship God. We go to South America and come from being 
a member in the Church of Rome to a Seventh-day Adventist and see what might happen to you. There are Adventists right now as we speak dying in South America for their faith just because it hasn't happened in Australia. Just because yet in the United States of America they have not seen this does not mean it will not happen. It has happened in the past and the Bible says it will happen in the future. A lot of people say, well, I just can't see the United States of America doing this. You saw 9-11. How quickly did the world change after 9-11? Two, three, four, five more terrorist attacks on the United States that kill millions. You'll see that society, that culture change completely. When you've got tornadoes, when you've got storms, when you've got drought ravaging the United States and other places of the world, there will be a call to come back to God. The entire world worships God on what day? Sunday. Come back and worship the Lord on Sunday. The image is being set up. The United States, the world is under pressure. It's under pressure environmentally. It's under pressure from terrorists. Anything could happen and could happen rapidly and before we know it, we could be facing Sunday law. The image is set up. Are you ready? The mark of the beast. Just a couple of things I want to say here because it's not a big subject. He, the United States, Revelation 13, 16, also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand on the forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name Revelation 13:17. I was in the shops out at Kellyville the other day you know that shopping centre at Kellyville that's my home shopping centre I'm working on a guy in that shopping centre who's a Pentecostal he's a Cook Islander so I have plans to send Clifton his way one day but I always go to his turnstile Anyway, I was there not so long ago and my wife had sent me shopping. I'm a good husband, aren't I, doing the shopping? And I had piled up and followed to the T everything that she'd told me to get. I walked to the counter and I gave him my credit card. Guess what? The thing bounced. (laughs) And it doesn't have a limit on it. So what's the bank saying about me? It bounced. It was embarrassing. There was nothing I could do except to say, look, hold it there, brother, and I'll go and try it on the FPOS machine. Well, praise the Lord, the FPOS machine worked. But I was powerless to buy food and take it home to my family because I live a cashless, in a cashless world. And I, you know, I thought to myself, and it's a simple thought, how easy would it be when these rules and regulations come in for us to have our accounts frozen, am I right? And the problem we've got is I wouldn't even know how to grow a lettuce. I wouldn't know how to grow a tomato, Norm. We might be all becoming friends of yours, brother. I don't know how to grow food. And like Marvin Moore said, how long would each of us last without food? Not a long time. Bible says in the end so heavily does the devil ramp this up that unless unless you worship the image of the beast you will not be even able to buy or sell. God says oh, if you do worship the image of the beast you will receive the mark of the beast. On your what? 
And what's the other one? Simple. The mark on your forehead. Believe and do what the Church of Rome through the United States of America instructs. You actually believe it. I was on the Gold Coast when I was a pastor. I was with one of my Bible studies and would you believe it, a nun turned up from the Church of Rome. Well, she spent her time with the, I was studying with the man and I thought, well, this is interesting. Isn't an Adventist in the home studying with the guy, a nun helping the lady out? And I finished my study and she wanted to go home. I said, well, look, I'll give you a ride. She didn't know who I was. I said, she said, fine. She gets in the car. I couldn't help myself. There are some naughty things inside of me, you know that. And I said, I, used, I said, my family used to be Roman Catholic. And this nun looks at me and she said, did they? I said, yep, but we became Seventh-day Adventists. She said, how could you become one of them? I said, would you like me to give you my Bible, sister? See, she believed it. It was in her head. It was in her heart. She believed it with everything she was. Now, unless she finds Jesus one day, she will have the mark where? In the forehead. I don't think there'll be too many Seventh-day Adventists with the mark of the beast in the forehead. Do you? Do you? But I think there might be a few with the mark in the hand. Don't believe what the Church of Rome to the USA is saying and yet do it because it is expedient, easy. And I want to tell you, if you're taking the easy road now and you walk with Jesus Christ, make no mistake, you'll take the easy road when the big test comes. So look at this as we finish. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of the world, so too is the United States of America. Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image, so too the United States. Nebuchadnezzar forces false worship by decree, so too the United States. Seeing this, Nebuchadnezzar threatens death penalty to those who will not worship the image, so too the United States. Nebuchadnezzar gives one final ultimatum, so too will the United States. Oh, I said I wouldn't do this but I can't help it. Go and read Great Controversy and see what she has to say about the final ultimatum that the United States gives you to worship the image. Very interesting stuff. Nebuchadnezzar gives a final ultimatum, as I said so, to the United States. God got unconditional. Look at this. We could spend hours just on this. We won't. We're finishing. God expects unconditional obedience from his people and he got it from Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I believe he's going to get it from us. The death decree is enacted by Nebuchadnezzar. The death decree, according to the Bible, will be enacted by the United States of America and Rome. And praise God, Jesus walked with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and we will be a privileged people, a privileged people as we walk through the end, as we walk through the end with who? With Jesus. We're going to see things that no other generation ever saw. We're going to see miracles that even Daniel... We're going to see miracles that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that Elijah and that Moses will wonder at. And I'm sure they will come up to us in the kingdom and say, you were one of the final generation. You're the ones who saw the power of God at work like never before. And I want to tell you, as the power of Satan increases in the world, and surely it is, praise God, so does his power also. We're going to see miracles. Norm, I won't have to get tomatoes and fruit and veggies off you because God told me that even though I'm a lousy gardener and flat out cutting the lawn, God said, Lord, your bread and your water will be sure. I believe it. 
God, look, if God can see Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego through the fiery furnace, God is going to see me, he's going to see you if you're faithful through the time of trouble like the world has never seen, through the time of trouble that Jesus himself says in Matthew 24, if the days were not cut short, the elect would not have survived through that time of trouble, Jesus will see us through and I praise God for that. He proved it in the story of Dan, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and you'll see it in your lives in the not too distant future. So there you've got it. The story of the three Hebrew worthies is your story too. And praise God, if he allows me to live, it'll be mine as well. So whether or not you have the mark of the beast is your decision. For all my weaknesses, today I choose Jesus and I choose a relationship with him. And I do not fear the times ahead of us because I have Jesus. And I pray that will be your experience too. I want to sing a, a hymn to finish. <coughs> Where's uh, our pianist? <coughs> and I want to sing. I was, in, I was in jail last week in New Guinea. I hadn't done anything wrong. I was preaching to a bunch of murderers, rapists and, and uh, I guess uh, high security criminals and they sung this song. I'm going to share with you on video next week in the church service. These men, 70 of them as they sung this song, 569, pass me not, O gentle saviour, as the end of the world comes, I don't want Jesus to pass me by, do you? And I want to invite you to stand and sing and we'll sing the first and the last verse of this beautiful song, and then we'll close with a prayer. 569, pass me not, O gentle Saviour. Well, even before we do that, two minutes, Yvonne, you need just get ready. Are there any questions? And I should have done this, I'm sorry. Has anyone got any questions at all? I'm happy to take them from the floor, don't guarantee I can answer it. Before we sing this song, did you understand what I'm trying to say? I hope I didn't lose you. <laughs> I've been known to lose people. The answer is you go off up into the clouds and you need to look behind you because there's no one there, brother. <laughs> okay, well, let's sing this first and last verse, 569. Let's stand. <laughs>